Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. I have SMA Type 2, and I am a columnist and forums director for SMANewsToday.com. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast, episode 81. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer, and joining me today is Chaz Hayden from Princeton, New Jersey. Chaz is a writer and YouTuber with SMA, and I'm really excited to have him on today. So, Chaz, thanks for joining us. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely. I think this will be a really great conversation. We, uh, Chaz and I met a few weeks ago through an SMA Zoom call, and um, we both, you know, have similar interests. So I think this will be a really fun conversation. But uh, before we get started, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast was brought to you by Genentech, the makers of an FDA-approved treatment for SMA. To learn about our study results across different types of people with SMA, visit approvedforsma.com. That's approvedforsma.com. Okay. Well, Chaz, why don't you start off just telling listeners a little bit about yourself and what it was like for you growing up with SMA? Yeah, definitely. So I'm 24 years old. I have SMA type 1 to type 2. That's just what I tell people because I was diagnosed when I was three months of age. And the amount of SMN proteins, I have three SMN uh, proteins. And type 2 because I've lived past the life expectancy of someone with type one and yeah, just my overall strength. I think, you know, growing up with SMA, it's funny because I was thinking about this recently. It wasn't, it wasn't really different. I didn't see myself as, as different from anyone else. And I think that's just a testament to like my parents and just the situation I was in, um, like the town I was in, there really wasn't any other um, disabled uh, children that were kind of at the level I was. A lot of them were multiply handicapped or, or had mental uh, disabilities as well. Um, so, you know, I was kind of forced or kind of pushed by my parents to, to really get out there and, and make friends. And they never really let me uh, use my SMA or my disability or being in a wheelchair as an excuse. So, yeah, I never had, I never saw myself as, as being different or, or kind of struggling in that sense socially. And then also having an older brother uh, as well, as, uh, who was who able-bodied, um, seeing him with all his friends. And then, you know, the best part is my house was always the house that all the friends were over. So my parents always, you know, kind of um, wanted, you know, whether it was my brother's friends, my friends, for our house to kind of be the party, the party place to hang out there. And and so it was, it was everyone mingling together. And, and then my brother played sports. So it was like, Sports has been a huge part of my life growing up, and my dad coached him. And it's funny because, like, when you have a disability, obviously you can't play. I mean, there are adaptive sports out there, but in my situation, none that I could really still do independently. Um, so, you know, watching my brother play, watching my dad coach him, it's kind of like, well, how else can I get involved? Like, how can I relate to that as well? Um, so it's a lot of like, you know, when my, my brother would come home from practice or a game, it's like just talking about it with him or on Sundays watching the NFL, you know, just, just being engaged in that sense. And I think it's I, it's funny because it's not till when I was much older, probably when I got to, to college or even now in my 20s, where I really started to connect with other people with disabilities or other people with SMA and, um, and start to build those relationships. And 
and and see myself as someone that is different, but not in a bad way. That's great. And hearing you say that, actually, like I have, well, I have two older siblings, and uh, my brother is also a big sports fanatic, and we're just a couple years apart. And I never really, it's funny because I never really got into sports, but like we had our own interests. But it, hearing you talk about that kind of like, you know, his friends come over, your friends come over, you have that sense of community. That was very similar to us too. Like we would, um, we knew each other's friends and growing up and still do. And um, we hang out a lot. And so it's really, it, it, I think for me as well, that that was instrumental uh, to my growing up. Yeah, it's, I think when I was, a, I don't know, maybe in elementary, we lived in a, well, I lived in a cul-de-sac my entire childhood until I went to college. Um, but we would play roller hockey in the cul-de-sac and I would be the goalie. You know, I would, we had a net and I would sit there and in the net, I had a stick, I had a helmet and everyone else would be on rollerblades and they would take shots at me. And like, I didn't care because I was a part of the game and it was fun and I was in it. And uh, I think back on that now, I'm like, Jesus, I really took a tennis ball to the chest and to the knees, you know, um, but it was just fun. And yeah, I mean, my brother is... um. He's four years older than I am, so a little bit of a difference. But yeah, all of our, all of my friends and his friends, we we were just in the same house and and just hanging out together. And I think that's kind of what my parents wanted, so that I had you know. Obviously, when you're in a wheelchair, your house is probably the only house that you can get into, unless you're in an apartment complex or something. And then you know maybe you can get into other people's apartments. Uh, but in the town that I lived in, yeah, I, I never once was able to get into my other friend's house unless, like, my dad went over the day before and set up a portable ramp in their garage. And even then, that was a pain in the butt. So it's just easier for everyone to come over and hang over at our place. Right, right. That's great. And, oh, definitely similar for me as well. And uh, speaking, too, about growing up. So I've been watching some of your YouTube videos and you made one about how you actually went to college very early on. And part of this was because of your high school's lack of accessibility. So can you talk about that and then just how you adapted to that transition when you were really young, you know, just early teenage years? <laughs> yeah, I, I started college when I was 15. So, yeah, super young. Um, there was a program at the community college uh, where I live in New Jersey, where I used to live. Uh, where you could go there full time, uh, earn a high school uh, diploma uh, by taking certain uh, general education credits that then get submitted back to the state of New Jersey. It's it's separate from a GED. You have to maintain above a certain grade point average, um, and you have to kind of write like an essay. And and you have to when you get into the program, you have to take the normal uh, placement exams that you would as an incoming freshman and place out of remedial, you know, English, math, and science. Um, so, you know, going into that, I did my freshman year of high school and, you know, just my brother going through our town high school and everything that, you know, he played sports and, and was able-bodied, so it was fine for him, but we just knew, my parents knew that they just weren't able to offer me the technology just to be as independent as I possibly could, that no matter how much we fought with them and we heard about a program at, at the county college where I could go half day there and half day to high school. And I was like, all right, maybe that'll work out. And I ended up doing so well, fortunately, on the placement exams that they told me about this other opportunity to be there full time. 
And, you know, at first, like you said, how did you kind of transition? I think when that happened, I wasn't even really thinking about my age and the sense of like, oh my God, like everyone's going to be four or five years older than me. Or even being at a community college, there's all different ages there. So, you know, there's people that are 10, 15, 30, 40 years older that are, that are students. And I never thought about it because the uh, sort of the faculty at the community college kind of like, hey, we've done this before. Like, you don't need to tell anyone as long as you act mature and get good grades. Like, the professors won't even know as well unless you want people to know. You don't have to tell them. Um, but I distinctly remember, like, the day I got accepted into that program, my parents took me out to dinner just to kind of celebrate. And I, was, I remember being really quiet at dinner and them asking me, like, what was going on? And I think I was just trying to, like, grasp, like, the enormity of what it meant, like, what I was doing. But I wasn't necessarily thinking about, like, like, I'm going to college. It was like, what about my friends? Like, do I still get to see my friends? Are they going to talk to me? Like, how am I, you know, how am I going to do this? And then they kind of put my, my mind at ease, like, hey, this is something that's going to put you in a great position. You're going to be able to be independent because like all the placement exams I took to even get into the program, they were all on the computer. So like right off the bat, everything was already on the computer. Like all my textbooks were going to be on the computer. Like we never even asked for anything. And like when we went in to do the test, they were like, oh, what accessible technology do you need? And my mom was like, are we being pumped right now? Like we thought it was a joke, you know? Um, so yeah, it was like all those kind of fears were put aside. And then my parents are like, hey, you just got to, if you want to do this, you just got to go all in. And I, on that drive home from dinner, I remember it just going straight to my head. Uh, for, unfortunately, I was like, you know what? Damn, I'm smart. Like, I think I can do this. And and uh, yeah, I, I never thought about the tough transition. And if you watch one of my YouTube videos, I kind of talk about how I was humbled pretty fast after I failed my first college test. But other than that, I think it was pretty smooth. That's really cool. And I mean, like you said, it is an accomplishment. It's, you know, that's not something every teenager can say. But uh, but going back to, to like, how did you kind of balance it with, you know, still having, like, quote unquote, high school experience and staying in touch with friends while being on the college campus full time? It's funny because I was reading through a journal that I wrote during my first few months there, which are some of the videos that I put up on my YouTube channel. I watched that one, yeah. And, yeah, and um, I have a whole bunch of them. And when I was reading through the, the journal, which is like 50 pages, I didn't write all the time. I kind of skipped around months to months or even a year or two sometimes. And I found parts where I was like talking about being alienated from some of my childhood friends. And I really didn't even remember that. I had to ask my mom, like, hey, did so-and-so really say this stuff to me? And I really didn't remember. And, like, and, my, and my mom said, yeah, like, you know, I remember they just didn't understand what you were doing. And it's not that they were, like, mean about it. It was just that they didn't get to see you every day and they didn't fully, you know, grasp the program and opportunity that you had. So to them, it kind of came off that you were abandoning them or you bailed on them. And, and I think, you know, just being not around them all the time and, and being at a totally different, you know, educational place, I started to make new friends and 
you know, I community college, it can be tough because it is very transient in the sense where obviously there's no dorm. So like people are just showing up to do a class and then they go home. But what people don't understand is there are opportunities to get involved. So, so right off the bat, I joined the uh, student ambassadors, which they gave tours of the campus. I became a senator on the student government. Um, so it almost it almost felt like I was in high school because they had those sort of after after class kind of programs that you could join different clubs like the Young Entrepreneurs. And then I was a part of the Honor Society there. And I went to the meetings and I made friends and I was a part of the activity. So you did still get that sort of camaraderie just in a different, you know, setting. Sure, sure. And yeah, I mean, that was, I think back to when I started college, like I, um, I just did four-year university and a, well, it's interesting you said too about like the age groups is so, uh, you know, diverse as it is. I mean, there are people, you know, who are, you know, around teenage and early 20 years, but then there, like you said, there's people who go uh, to back to school later in life. And so I, I think it's really kind of cool to be exposed to that as a teenager, because you learn to talk to a wide range of people. And I think for me, mm-hmm. at least that helps a lot living with SMA. Like, I mean, that's making those connections and relating to people from all different backgrounds. I think it's a really cool thing to have. Yeah, definitely. And it definitely pushed me out of my shell. I mean, just in terms of age range, my best friend when I was there, and still my best friend, but is eight years older than me. So yes. I was 15 at the time, and he's in his mid-20s, yeah. you know? And it's just because he went to college at a later time. He took a break and then went back for his education. And, um, yeah, there was people that were maybe only three or four years older than me. Um, like my, They were around my brother's age. And a lot of them I'm still best friends with, you know? I mean, all of them. And... I think for me, it was a good opportunity to push myself because everyone that I've been friends with, I've been friends with them since I was a child. You know, so this was a way for me to be like, all right, I made friends when I was a kid and I grew up with them. Everyone knows me. Can I go somewhere now when no one knows me? The first thing they see is my wheelchair. Unfortunately, that's just a fact, you know, um, can I overcome that? And I did, you know, I was still able to be social and, and fit in and, and do the things that I wanted to do. That's great. That's great. No, college is the best. I uh, I remember when we were on the Zoom call a few weeks ago, we were talking to some um, younger SMAers that were either just starting college or yeah. you know, or finishing up high school, and that was the thing we said was like, oh, enjoy those years as much as you can because it's it's the best. But yeah, it is. Yeah, I I tell people now like um, you know, after after I graduated from my community college, I did two years there including the credits I had to do for the for the high school diploma. I was like, hey, this is a two-year junior college. I'm going to do the high school part and the associate degree in two years. So I took so many credits and classes just to kind of finish them both up in, in, in four semesters. Um, and I did summer and winter classes. But when I transferred to a university, um, yeah, now you're kind of this sort of, you, you go from a big fish in a small pond to a, to a small fish in a huge Pond going to a, a university of 50,000 students where I was at a community college that maybe had 2,000, 3,000 students and pretty much everyone knew me. I knew all the teachers. I knew the, I knew the president of the college, you know, just because of the size of it, you know, and 
And now, now it's like a whole nother ball game that you have to deal with going to a university. Absolutely. It's quite a transition, you know. Uh, well, Chaz, that's great. And we will continue in just a minute. But first, if everyone can listen to an, another brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by a sponsorship from Genentech. Are you living with SMA or are you a caregiver for someone who is? A treatment has been FDA approved based on studies of different types of people living with SMA. Genentech extends a special thanks to all the individuals, families, and healthcare providers who participated in the studies that led to making this treatment option a reality. To learn more about this treatment, visit approvedforsma.com. Okay, so um, like I said earlier, you know, writing uh, plays a big part in your life. So does music. And I, you know, I, you can relate this to talking about what you studied in college and how that might differ from it. But can you talk about when you did, wanted to pursue a career in writing and how that evolved? In college, I was a business finance major. So very, very different than what I'm doing now with my life, which I don't mind at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, at my community college as a business major, when I transferred to the University of Arizona, I was a finance major, got a degree in that. And I've always had a passion for being creative and writing and music as well. Like even as a kid, I'd write music, I'd write songs. When I was 10, I wrote rap music. I, I wanted to be the next Eminem. You know, I just wrote poetry, whatever it was, um, short stories for different classes that I was in. So I always had a fun time with it. Um, creative writing. I hated persuasive essays. I never enjoyed that part of, of school or, or, or English or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of when I figured I wanted to be a writer was probably probably towards the end of my time at Arizona, maybe my last semester, even after I graduated, I just had so much free time on my hand because um, I unfortunately did not have a job right away. Mm -hmm. And I moved back from Arizona to New Jersey again, that I was just constantly reading. Like I was reading everything. And um, like I was going through probably, I don't know, two or three novels a month. And as I was doing it, I was like, hey, you know, I think I could do something like this. And since I had so much time uh, every day, just being home, one day I just sat down and started writing a, a story I had in my head that I wanted to be a novel. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and it took me, you know, a while, maybe a year to do it because then I ended up uh, getting an internship in the city and, and traveling for that. But um, yeah, it wasn't until after university that I really decided, hey, this is something I want to do. And then unfortunately, just over the years, I've kind of had to put it on pause just because of my full-time day jobs. And, and that first novel I started after I graduated college, you know, obviously I tried to shop that around to different literary agents and it just never went anywhere because it just, honestly, it wasn't very good. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, like I said, I didn't know, even know what I was doing, but I had fun doing it. So then what I did was I started to join uh, different writing groups at the public library um, I, I would go to one of them was at a Starbucks. That was a few towns away from where I was. Um, and I just started to learn. And I started to write different things, poetry, 
short stories, uh, whatever it was, more music. So yeah, being creative has always kind of been in me, uh, just not something I really focused on until now. Sure, sure. Oh, and as a writer myself, I mean, I know how it goes with, you know, managing day jobs and all these things, and then also getting rejected. I mean, Stephen King had a wall of rejections when he was growing up and short stories from an early age to different magazines and whatnot. And yeah, no, it's definitely a journey, but, um, but you have yeah. success in that regard though. Now, um, can you talk about your current novel now and where that's gone? Yeah. So, uh, about, I don't know, maybe the beginning of 2019, I really hadn't written anything that was too big. I'd written a few short stories. One of them got published in a local newspaper that does a summer fiction edition. And, and that was fun. And I was just going to my writing group. So I'm like, hey, let me shelve this one manuscript that I've been shopping around for a year and a half, two years now. And I had a different idea, um, focusing on a character with a disability, with someone that has SMA. And I've never been very good of, about writing about myself, um, whether that's a memoir or just you know a, a biopic in, in general. I've just never been good at it. So I was like, well, Maybe I can sort of share my experiences or things that I've gone gone through, but in a fictional kind of way. So I, you know, I kind of put all these things that I've been through over the past, you know, 20 some odd years of my life and, um, you know, put them into a story. I started that, that manuscript in, in like February, 2019, and it just flowed so easily out of me that I finished it in like nine months and maybe even like seven months. And, in the fall of 2019, I shopped it around to maybe two agents, and the one that I wanted the most got back to me. I sent him the first five pages of it and a query letter, and I'm not joking, in five minutes he answered me and said, send me the rest of this. <laughs> and uh, two weeks later, I signed with him. He just loved it. It was like, and he said, you know, it just was all about timing. He just happened to be at his desk right when I sent that email and he loved the first five pages and he loved the rest of the manuscript. And um, so then the pandemic hit and which was kind of a blessing for me because now I was home and I was able to revise the manuscript with my agent before submitting it to publishers. Mm -hmm. So we had all that free time. We we spent about seven or eight months uh, going through three revisions just with my agent. And then in August, shopped it around. We sent it out to, I don't know, maybe 10 to 12 different publishers. That was maybe a total of 20 different editors at those different publishers and, and publishing uh, houses and, and, and presses. And yeah, then in end of August, it ended up going to auction, which means I had, I had multiple offers. I had four different offers. And I signed with Candlewick which is uh, an indie sort of small publisher. They're very known for their children's and, and young adult, which is what I write. My novel is a young adult novel. It's called The First Thing About You. The main character has SMA. He's a teenager who's just trying to figure out how to fit in. He has a really fun, spunky nurse that attends with him and just kind of balancing that relationship and the relationships he wants to have with his peers and it's coming out fall 2022. That's fantastic. Congratulations. I mean, 
Thank it's you. kind of funny you say because I know we've talked about this a little bit um, off the record, but like um, I have a graphic novel shopping around as well. Like I, yeah. um, my team has an agent with it, and so we're in that process as well. But it's uh, yeah, no, it's congratulations. It's uh, um, definitely an endeavor, and yeah, it's uh, you never know, you know, uh, whose desk it might land on. You just you know, just that perseverance goes a long way. Yeah, you you really never know. I mean. It was such a odd process. It's like you kind of build it up in your head, and um, you know, I'm I'm really happy that I was, and really super fortunate to be where I am now. And but you never really know what's going to catch people's eye. I mean, yeah. I know people that different publishers and and different editors that responded were like, "Hey, we like it," but it just didn't go in a direction that we thought it would. And I think it's because there's so much. I try I try to be really authentic in everything I write. And I find that now in, in young adult literature, just anything that's written, whether it's a Netflix show or, or a movie for young people, oftentimes tries to kind of make everything black and white, right and wrong, what's good or bad. And in this story, I there's a lot of gray area in what's said and what's done. And there's a lot of very prov- provocative and, and shocking moments that I think might've been disturbing, but those are real life. Real life, you don't always have a right or wrong choice or what's good or bad. So I wanted to put that into the story and make sure that, you know, we have young people who are reading this and understanding not just a disability, but someone else's life and the things that that might happen to them. That's so true. And well, and I, that brings me to my next question because I'm curious, so, you know, the protagonist has SMA and I imagine a lot of it was drawn from personal experiences, but how much was it kind of based on your life? And then how much was entirely fictional when you were writing? I think what I did is I just thought about like every nurse I've ever had. And I kind of picked out the most interesting ones and all the crazy kind of drama and, and you know, relationships that we've built. Because I've had so many amazing nurses over the years and nurses that I bonded with so fast and then and then left for one reason or another and and nurses that I've had for years decades even I still uh, stay in contact so I kind of took all of those stories and all the stories that I've kind of uh, and and things that I've experienced over 24 years and 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 then and then made it a little bit more drama I added a little bit more drama fluffed it up a little bit uh, but there are, you know, a bunch of scenes in there uh, that have happened to me. Um, it, when you read it, there there's a a scene with the main character in a ba- in the bathroom with one of his nurses and something that she does. And then there's another scene at the end where the main character is in the bathroom with his older brother and something that happens to them. And and I just started to think, wow, a lot of really wild stuff has happened to me in the bathroom. I don't know why, but I'm sure other people with disabilities can relate to that, that everything nuts and wild happens in the bathroom. So. 100%. I mean, my editors at SMA News Today often laugh at how many bathroom jokes I make, but it's because of that. I mean, there are so many scenarios that are not common for people outside the disability community, but they are totally relevant to our lives. And I think it's important to include those things because it's, it, 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 it's like you said, it's authentic and it, you know, I think it'll be both relatable for people with disabilities and also kind of eye-opening for people outside our community. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, so those those two scenes are are realistic. There's um there's a scene where the protagonist goes on a date with with a a, a classmate of his, and that kind of dynamic in the day that plays out is, is sort of built off of a real life date that I went on and kind of how I was feeling and how that person I was on a date with, the things that, you know, we kind of, she had to do because I can't feed myself. I need help, you know? So kind of the nerves and the jitters and, and I'm like, oh my God, does she know she has to feed me kind of thing. And um, so there's that. And yeah, I think there was, there's just small things like things that his friends say that my friends have said to me, just funny things that I kind of brush off that we joked about. I think that, you know, I've always kind of had thick skin. I never really get offended by a lot. I know that a lot of things that people will say or joke about, they're not always malicious. I think it's, 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 you can tell what's malicious and what's not malicious. And I like to have fun. And I like that my friends feel comfortable busting on me and, and, you know, and kind of um, joking around. So there's a lot in there in that as well. But um, I think the overall kind of story is something that is a similar situation that I kind of went through that I kind of fictionalized to make it a little bit better for a novel and probably a situation that in my head, how I wished it would have gone in real life, um, but it didn't. And, uh, and then also, um, you know, just, just those little tiny things, like I said, of everyday life of, of your mom having to be your backup if a nurse can't be there, you know, or, or your, your morning routine, your, your parents have to help you in the shower or, you know, just different accessibility issues that I bring up. But um, one of the publishers said to me the thing that they loved is that at its heart, it's not a disability story. And I love to hear that. I think that really meant a lot to me that they saw the heart of it first, which is just a teenager trying to be a teenager. And then the disability is secondary. And I think that's amazing. That's great. I mean, you know, it's always encouraging when, yeah, you hear comments like that, where it's the emphasis is on the human story. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, this happens to be character with a disability that you're viewing that story through. So yeah. And, and it's funny because like you said, how much of it is true. And, it, and now I think about it after I wrote it, some of the stuff has actually happened to me almost like I manifested it in some way. So I don't know. I was going through something last month. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm in this chapter of my book right now. And I have no idea how to react. And it's just funny. I'm like, geez, what did I do to myself? What is this? It's like a subconscious thing in art imitating yeah, yeah. life and all that. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, no, well, Chaz, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, talk, so in talking about your writing, your YouTube videos, and then your day job, can you just kind of walk us through what a typical day looks like for you? Obviously, it's been affected by the pandemic. You know, I mean, we're all yeah. working from home. But can you give us just an idea of how, you know, what does your day look like between managing caregivers and working and all the things you do? Yeah. So before the pandemic, um, I had two nurses. One was during the day. They would uh, accompany me to my job at the office. And then I had a night nurse that would be there while I was sleeping to do some of my night uh, routine and help me get to bed. And then 
whatever I needed while I was sleeping. And then, of course, my parents are around as well. And, you know, as soon as the pandemic hit uh, last March, um, you know, it, it was sort of a, a group decision between me and my mom, my dad to cancel any care that we had coming into the home at the beginning, just because, you know, we didn't know what was going on and you can't control what other people do outside as, as much as you trust them. And the two nurses I had, one of them I've known for a decade and one of them I've known for half a decade. So I trust them. It was just, they also have lives. They have children to take care of. They have things that they need to do. Um, so my parents are like, you know what, let's just hunker down in our apartment. We can do these things. So yeah, in, every, in everyday life, it's like, you know, I get up, I, I wear a breathing machine at night, I wear a BiPAP. So it's time to just get up, have my mom or whoever take that off and, and do some of my morning medication, you know, get in the shower, uh, help someone help me get dressed and, and get out the door to my job. And then a nurse meeting me there and, and just sort of, you know, working. And I mean, it's funny too, it's like, I think about it now, it's like most of my day is not any different than anybody else's day, except for like the culmination of like 30 minutes where like it's about the entire day where I need help in the bathroom or I need someone to like feed me or I need to take a medication or something. But other than that, it's like me sitting at a desk at a computer. <laughs> right. It's been our lives for a lot of us in the past year. Especially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now that now that I'm home, it's great. I mean, either way, I live ten minutes from my office. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like I get up, I get up, I can get up an hour and a half later than I usually would, just because I can roll out of bed, you know, and just go right on my laptop and not have to worry about, you know, waking up and ha- eating breakfast and driving to the office and all that, all that stuff. So it's been honestly, I don't mind working from home. I feel like I've been just as productive and just as efficient. And yeah, if I have to do it for the rest of my life, I mean, I'd want to get out and see people, but you know, it is what it is. And we have Zoom and we have other video chat platforms. So I deal with it. Sure, sure. Well, and especially if you end up becoming a full-time writer down the road, you know, I mean, you can kind of do that from wherever as well. Yeah, exactly. And that's the goal. I think that's the, the dream for everybody. Mm-hmm. to be a full time and um yeah we'll see i mean yeah we can do that from anywhere and i know my parents was like can we just buy a house like on the beach and you can just stare at the ocean and write i'm like no nah, it's not very inspiring to me <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah i mean inspiration comes from different places and writers have different preferences so yeah yeah but that's great well and jazz wrapping up here and it's been a great conversation but um, thinking about all the things you've said, do you have any advice for others in the SMA community, whether it's about anything about independent living, working, anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been so much. Um, something I just say is I just just don't be afraid to kind of get put yourself out there, get out there. Um, I know sometimes it's really hard to not feel like your disability or your situation gets in the way. And obviously everybody's circumstance is different. Like SMA is such a vast disability that everyone is completely different. I'm different from you and you're different from me and what you're capable of doing. And, but I go through the days too, even now, as much as I've done, 
where I'm like, I can't do this because I'm in a wheelchair. But then I have someone in my life that's like, cut the bullshit, you know, cut the BS and get out there, you know, you know, and just do it or or whatever. Like, reach out to a friend, chat with them, talk to them, go to college. Like, just because you're in a chair doesn't mean you can't go to college. Like, we're in the 21st century. Like, you can get your degree online. You don't have to be on campus. Is on campus the normal? Yeah, it is. But that doesn't mean you have to deprive yourself of an education. So, yeah, I just say just don't let it stop you from doing what you want to do. That's great. That's great. Well, Chaz, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. This was a great conversation. And best of luck on your novel. I look forward to that coming out. You said fall 2022? Yep, yep. Awesome. And where else can people find you? I know you have your YouTube channel and social media. Yeah, so on YouTube, Chaz Hayden, and then Instagram and Twitter at the Chaz Hayden. Give me a follow. I post kind of funny tweets with tweets that I think are funny and then pictures of my beautiful face and of my dog. So you can enjoy those if you'd like. <laughs> you definitely got the sense of humor, especially for YouTube and Twitter and all that. And I've been, I've been enjoying your videos watching those. This has been great. So. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, and I've seen your comic on Twitter, some of the some of the little, uh, drawings that you're posting. I think it's amazing. And I'm always enjoying the action videos you have in your bedroom. They're super fun to look at. Thank you very much. That's the best compliment by far. I know. I, I mean, I work like in management, but I have no shame in having my bookshelf of graphic novels and action figures in the background whenever I'm on a call because there's no sense in hiding who I am. That's yeah. I mean, I'm not the typical business kind of persona. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Neither gotta, am I. <laughs> no, exactly. You got to embrace who you are and the creativity spirit and all that. So. Absolutely. Well, Chaz, thank you so much again for coming on today. And for our listeners out there, you can find more stories like this by subscribing to this podcast. You can also check out our forums community, our YouTube channel, and everything on our main website at smanewstoday.com for the latest SMA news and perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.